Welcome to another edition of Around Town. We're glad to have you back with us as we continue our discussion on the ongoing opioid crisis. Pim, while Kentucky was one of a few states reporting a slight decline in overdose deaths in 2022, state officials are now holding their breaths waiting to see if that was just a brief pause or will the death rate begin climbing again this year. Recently, the Kentucky Opioid Abatement Advisory Commission held a public forum in Henderson looking to gather input from local leaders and citizens who are on the front lines in the fight against drug abuse and addiction. The forum was hosted by Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron and featured law enforcement, first responders, and even area legislators. Several citizens in attendance also shared their stories, including Angela Parkerson of neighboring Owensboro, who is living out every parent's worst nightmare, the sudden loss of her son to a fentanyl overdose. And as you're about to hear what makes this death and so many others like it so tragic is that her son had no idea that the pill he was taking had been laced with a deadly dose of fentanyl. This is my son, Nick. He's not a number. He's a person. He was 24 years old. He did not have substance use disorder. He split what he thought was a Percocet, a half of it. <coughs> they split half with his friend, ran out and left him, and he died. The first time I ever heard the word fentanyl was when my his dad called because we were told that a crime had occurred and that we had no choice, he had to have an autopsy. We didn't want that, but we had to do that, and he, his dad asked when his body would be returned to us. He said, oh, really quickly, because we're overflowing with bodies, and this was in 2021, April 23rd. And we said, oh my gosh, why, COVID? And they said, no, fentanyl. That's the day I heard the word fentanyl. And all of the things that we offer in this state currently that are in practice, are harm reduction things for people who do suffer with substance use disorder. While locking up a drug user or drug dealer isn't going to bring back my son, it might save yours. Because if my son sold a drug to your child that killed them, they need to be held accountable. I would go visit him in jail. I would bring him uh, things. I would still be his mother, but I would hold him accountable for his actions. My son did not choose, did not battle, did not struggle, except for the day he died. I, as a parent, started a nonprofit called the Never Alone Nick Rucker Foundation because we, as parents of children who have been poisoned, and make no mistake, my son was murdered. He was poisoned. He didn't get an option. He didn't get love and compassion. He got nothing. And I and other parents across this state and this country <coughs> spend our own money, our own resources, making, putting billboards up across the country, using our kids' images, making graphics so that your children don't die. So that your children, you're able to tell your children the things that I never could. The DEA agents I've spoke to told me, I tell my kids all the time, don't use fentanyl. And I said, what a gracious blessing that is that you had the knowledge to inform your child the existence of fentanyl, the existence that was denied me. I never got to tell my son, who was, I guess, considered a recreational user, which anybody in this room, I'm willing to bet, has at least tried a drug when they were 
coming up in this world. I was in the D.A.R.E. program, and when I was there, we all thought it was a joke, you know, because it was something we laughed about. Um, because we didn't think it was serious, we didn't think it would happen to us, and that's the way children are. They don't think anything will happen to them until it does. We work in partner with a program called Steered Straight, which goes into the schools and educates children with the truth. It just tells them the reality and lets them know your parents can't stop this, the people around you can't stop it, and we can do everything we can on this end to help people in recovery, and we should. They need it and things like that. But if we don't stop the people from falling in here and dying and being poisoned, and they are not addicted to drugs, they are poisoned with these drugs. They are not choosing fentanyl. My son didn't choose fentanyl. And a lot of the people that are out here that are struggling with addiction, even if they later become addicted to fentanyl, they did not choose that. Fentanyl is not a choice. It is murder. It is intentional. It is a, an act of war and aggression from China and Mexico. And the fact that we have to have these meetings, I have to go to local meetings and say, how come we need Narcan? Well, they don't want to give it out because Narcan is enabling or this, that, or the other. The only thing Narcan enables is breathing. And I was told, remember we were on a call, that we are frontline soldiers in a war. But we don't want to empower people with education, knowledge, and Narcan, which is our only tools. They are our only tools. I would give anything if I could celebrate my son's birthday tomorrow with him, but I can't. So what I do is work nonstop at a full-time job and doing this, spending my own money, coming here, driving all around, and telling wonderful individuals how terrible of a job they're doing. And trust me, I know that that is hard to hear. I don't want to be the one to tell you, you're not doing good at your job because my kid is dead. But I have to say it because if somebody had said that in 2021, maybe I could have said, Nick, don't do that. You can't take anything that doesn't have your name on it. If it didn't come from a pharmacy with your name on it, you can't take it. Marijuana is also being laced with fentanyl. Our kids are being poisoned. And the vape pens that the majority of kids don't smoke cigarettes anymore, they vape. And they think they're trying THC for the first time or maybe even nicotine. But these things come from drug cartels and they have fentanyl and methamphetamine in them. And we're talking about a substance that is 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin. And this is what's happening to the young minds of children throughout this state and throughout this country. And we sit around and talk about how we're going to uh, handle addiction or this, that, or the other. But who's doing anything to protect our children and to empower them and parents? Because I'm a good parent. I would tell my, parent, my child anything to help him. And all of the parents that I know, so are we. But we battle stigma of being bad parents or... Uh, bad households and things like that and that is not the case I mean yes in some instances there is but that is not the only thing that's happening out there my son is not a statistic he is a person and if any of you need help with spending your money on programs and things like that we're more than willing to help you with that because we tell these guys all the time please we beg them to give us money to fight because we are the voice of the people worked with the people 
We're with people in substance use disorder. We go and speak there. We go speak at schools. We do whatever we can to save your children because it is too late. Nobody did anything to help me save mine, but every person, every person from the president down that's in charge, they've known about this for years. And silence is deadly. That's one of my main things that I say because what my son did not know is in fact what killed him. Putting fentanyl in something that people don't know is theirs, the equivalent of me handing you a glass of water and putting fentanyl in it, you drinking it, and you die. Did you, did you choose that or did I murder you? To me, we have to get better and empower law enforcement with the ability to get into these phones and, and find out in real time who's killing the kids and even non-fatal overdoses because we have to do something and we have to do it now and it's a multifaceted problem. It's not just substance use disorder, it's not just this, it's not just that. Everybody has a right to say something and it's going to take a lot of different aspects to come at this problem. My son did not deserve to die. I should have been empowered with the knowledge to explain to him that this country is full of toxic poison, but I was denied that. And I pray that we will make it better for the children that are out there today. And maybe me coming here and having to stand up here and say this will help one of you save your children. Because trust me, not a single one of you want to be standing here holding this picture of your child. Because I most certainly do not. Thank you. Bill, that has to be one of the most heartbreaking stories we've shared so far on this podcast. As usual, we have posted a link on the Around Town website if you want to find out more about the Never Alone Nick Rucker organization. Kim, it's been said that no one grows up dreaming of becoming a drug dealer or a drug addict. In this next segment, we'll hear the testimony of a Tri-County woman who shared her story of addiction that led to both her and her husband being convicted not once but twice on trafficking charges. But this story has a much more positive ending and an amazing twist as to who Sandra Norman credits with saving her and her husband's lives. My name is Sandra Norman and I want to thank all of you for being here today. Thank you for the panel. I want to thank Mr. Greenwell and the circuit court judge that convicted me and my husband back in 2005 for manufacturing meth. We did not get charged with manufacturing meth. Of course, we got a plea deal, but the fact of the matter is we were. We were manufacturing multiple times on a daily basis for a long period of time. And um, we were hurting our community. We were hurting ourselves. We hurt our children. Children suffered from it. But before that happened, that was our last resort. We were getting meth from the cartel. It was coming through Nashville, it was coming to Henderson County, and it was coming here for years. And um, I want to thank Mr. Greenwell for having us on his caseload. I want to thank um, the circuit judge that convicted us that we have thought, we have thanked many, and my husband, Randy Norman's back there. We want to thank her, and we have many times for saving our life because what they did for us was made us accountable for what we were doing, not just to ourselves, 
but to our community. And since which, um, that circuit judge that convicted us, we were like in the first six weeks of her tenure as circuit judge. As of December of this year, thanks to Mr. Greenwell, and thanks to uh, Judge Renee Williams, me and my <coughs> husband was one of the last things that she did, and she vacated our, our sentences, our, our criminal record, because of this reason. Because we put the work in. We knew that we were gonna die. We knew we were gonna take other people with us. Now my husband, not throwing you under the bus, honey, but, but my husband, that wasn't enough for him. So he got revoked. And thank God he did. The Lord had a plan for him, he had a plan for me, and we made it. But we had a lawyer that just a few weeks, or a few months after he thought he got us off on a plea bargain, we ended up doing our own plea deal, got arrested for opioids, and while we were sitting in his office, talking to him about our case, asked my husband, would he manufacture meth for him? Wow. Yeah, yeah, so, so I'm sitting there, and I, I mean, you'd think I'd been through everything, both of us, right? I about fell out of my chair. <laughs> I walked out, and I was like, who does that? He was like, I don't know, I guess you just don't know who's doing it. So anyway, long story short of it, the lawyers are to, need to be held accountable. We have a granddaughter right now. We don't know what's gonna happen to her. She's, her mother uh, has found pills in her room, but we got her a lawyer. That he is determined that because of what she does and the things that are, is going on with her, he sees this all the time, he's been doing it a long time, he's determined that one of the stipulations is that she goes through a treatment program, and not any treatment program, one that he has had success with, because he does everything from murder to drugs to whatever. But, but let me say this about drug court. My husband was asked to come to the Cumberland County uh, Drug Court graduation, and how they do that is they have a graduation, and then they have the ones that are coming in in there. He went with a room full of people, that, that's where I'm from, is Cumberland County originally, and he spoke to these people. He, smote, he, he spoke to the ones that are going out and the ones that are coming in. And I'm gonna tell you, that needs to be done. We, we, the ones of us that have made it, the ones of us that own homes, have lucrative jobs, that have been giving a chance, we need to be able to tell our stories, our success stories, by the grace of God, mind you, and by the system that the ones that hold accountable, because everybody's not like Zach Greenwell. And I'm not putting you up on the pedestal, I'm just telling you you're doing your job. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I mean, seriously, you know. I mean, a lot of people think that elected officials and all this stuff, you know, they think, hey, we're up on a pedestal, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to do. You get caught up in it and everything. But these circuit judges, these lawyers, these Commonwealth attorneys that are truly doing their job, I want to be used. I want to be used. I want God to use me and my husband because God used him. And I promise you there was not a dry eye in that courtroom for that graduation <coughs> when we left there because he laid it all out there. He laid it all out there.
And I owe everybody an apology to every bag of meth that I used to trade for pills when people didn't have money. And I'd turn around and, hey, if somebody wanted those, whatever, because I didn't take pills. I didn't do things like that. You know, I mean, I never had, didn't like them. But my point is, is that it all goes together. It's all hand in hand. It doesn't matter whether it's opioids, whether it's meth, whether it's cocaine, whatever. It's an all hand in hand thing because one thing leads to another. And I don't care if you're just recreationally using marijuana. And I spoke to Robbie about this last week about what they put through about not being, you know, the smoking thing, just the edibles thing with the legislature. Listen, these people think they're going out and buying a bag of weed and it's laced with this stuff. You know, we're, we're telling our grandkids, we, we got 13 grandkids. They're not letting us be an example. They're not hearing us say, you don't want to go through. Look at everything we've went through. It's, it's not registering with them. They think they're big enough to do whatever that they need to do. But I'm just asking you all as a panel, take us, use us, let us be a voice. I want to do something to rectify what we did. I want to say, hey, this judge, she got to watch us evolve. And we just happened to be for, uh, fortunate enough that we ended up in the same group of friends and people and everything because the judge executive of Webster County at that time gave me and my husband a chance. He is a Dixon City Commissioner. He's an elected official now. We both had jobs at the road department. The very road department he was at a trustee at because he got revoked. He's the road supervisor now. And you know what? It's by the grace of God that the people that had the opportunity to do the job to hold us accountable, they did that. <coughs> and not everybody's going to do that. It is a catch and release program. We see trustees come back and back and back and back and back, and we ask ourselves sitting on the couch, like, he'll say, hey, so-and-so's back, and I'm like, what? I mean, this is like the fifth time this has happened. I mean, really? And for what? Meth again? You know, so there is a problem. We all know there's a problem. But if you can use us and the people that can talk, the people that can say, hey, we're successful in this. Because we have a nephew, he dropped out of Henderson Drug Court. We were like, what? And I said, Sean, what do you mean you dropped out of drug court? You know what he said? It's too hard, it's easier just to sit in jail. So when, when Mr. Gold said that, I was just thinking to myself, yeah. So, so maybe we need to rethink once you get in drug court, Maybe you can't drop out. Maybe you maybe you got to go sit in jail for two or three more months or whatever it is that you're doing, but don't let them drop out. Make them go back. Make them think about it for a while. I mean, I know this can't happen overnight, but I'm just telling you from experience in our family, there's a whole lot wrong. There's a whole lot wrong on every front. But me and my husband, Randy, would love... To, to do whatever we could do to be a voice, to be a testimony, to be anything, because we want to save our grandchildren. Because somebody saved our life, and it was by the grace of God that those people did that. 
And so I'm sorry that I rambled on, but thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Greenwell. Thank you all. Hearing from real people who are directly affected by the opioid crisis brings this issue to life and shows just how dramatically it affects the lives of our neighbors. We hope these past two episodes have given you even more insight into the deadly opioid crisis and why more needs to be done by all of us to combat it. How is Henderson addressing the addiction crisis? Stay tuned. We'll be addressing that in an upcoming edition of Around Town. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We'll have more great topics for you each Monday and Friday. They'll be posted to our website and also wherever you find your podcasts. Have an idea for our show? Email us at aroundtownwithstarkandclark at gmail.com. And be sure to tell your friends. He's Stark. And she's Clark. And until next time, we'll We'll see see you around town. town.